Let's talk about that speech with Claire and Rachel. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the Let's Talk About Speech podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Claire. And we're back for another episode. Last week, we talked all about different websites, maybe giving you some ideas if you're still in the teletherapy world. We had a special guest on. So if you haven't had a chance to take a listen to that, stop, go listen, and then come back. And this week, we are talking about neurodiversity, which I feel like is a hot topic right now, Mm -hmm. Um, especially I think with it being Autism Acceptance, Autism Awareness Month. And I think neurodiversity, Rachel and I were talking before the episode is kind of just a newer term. It's not Mm -hmm. a new term overall. It's been around for a while, but it's newer in a term to our field and how we can practice this and how we can be aware of it. So we thought it would be a really good time to give you guys some resources and just a little bit of information. We're only going to scratch the surface, but we're going to make sure we give you guys some resources to, um, look at it for yourselves as well. So I guess the first thing that we can do is just define what neurodiversity is. Um, there is, I found a website called untapped group. It's like untapped dash group.com. Um, and it's a great resource on neurodiversity and they actually have a definition from Judy Singer, who is kind of the, they, I researched her a little bit and Mm -hmm. she's kind of known as coining the term neurodiversity. She did a bunch of papers. She did her thesis on neurodiversity and she kind of defined what that was and her life's work has really centered around this. So she's kind of a, a really important person in this area of neurodiversity. Mm -hmm. So she defines it. And I love this definition. She defines it as a state of nature to be respected an analytical tool for examining social issues, an argument for the conversation and facilitation of human diversity. And I just loved that because I felt like it encompassed so much of what we talk about Mm -hmm. because it really is just how our brains work differently. Right. But it doesn't have to be a bad thing. It can be something that creates discussions. It can be something that we look at to reason social issues, like she said, and it's just something we really need to be aware of. Um, And then another definition I found was from exceptionalindividuals.com, and it actually broke down neurodiversity definitions. So they define neurodiversity as the diversity or variation of cognitive functioning. And then being neurodiverse is the inclusion of a number of substantial cognitive functioning variations. So that would be you being neurodiverse. Neurodivergent is having a less typical or cognitive variation, such as autism, ADHD. There's a lot that encompasses that that we'll talk about. And then neurodivergence is the presence or grouping of less typical cognitive variation. So it's just like all that encompasses neurodiversity and how to use it in different ways appropriately, which I thought was really interesting. Um, And then another thing I kind of found across the board was how neurodiversity refers to more than just autism. I think again, because of the months that we're in and, um, all of the talk around autism this month, we kind of hone in on that surrounding neurodiversity, but it's so much more than that. You guys, um, it's also ADD or ADHD, dyslexia, dyspraxia, Tourette's. Those are all encompassed under it and so many more. Um, so I think just making sure that 
you guys know what neurodiversity is and what falls under that category, because there is more than just autism. Um, and I think we also need to know why it's important for SLPs to be aware of this because a lot of our clients are probably neurodiverse. A lot of our coworkers are neurodiverse. Rachel, did you see, did you see that article in, um, the ASHA leader about like working with diverse mm-hmm. coworkers? How cool of an article. I feel like it was so different than anything else I've ever seen. Yeah. And, um, that was actually one of the things I wanted to touch on really quickly that if you guys haven't seen that you should, because I like how it really touched on, you know, different individuals have different Mm -hmm. viewpoints and you may not even be aware of it, but once you do become aware of it, you can, you know, kind of grow in your field and, Mm -hmm like in the collaboration aspect. of Yeah, absolutely. And for us as SLPs, it's really important again, because, um, you know, I think historically intervention for these, um, diagnoses, so autism, ADHD, all of the diagnoses that fall under this category have really been medically based, like a medical model. So that means that, there's a problem and Mm -hmm. it needs to be fixed. And that's what these are being viewed as, as problems to be fixed. When really there's a lot of energy and movement towards moving away from this type of thinking and this type of intervention, because it's not just the thinking when we think that way, we intervene that way, right? That's what our therapy will look like. So we really need to get out of that mindset that we need to fix them and really embrace the differences and build upon the differences to make them into the individual they're meant to be. Um, and that just kind of goes along with focusing on their strengths and their goals and putting really your client or your patient first. Definitely. I really like Judy Singer's version of the definition Mm -hmm. because I feel like it encompasses all of those parts. And I love that it starts out with the acceptance piece. Yeah. And I also think it's really important that you highlighted that, um, it's more than just autism and that it's estimated that one in seven people are neuro, excuse me, neurodiverse and that it can be, you know, it can present itself in a variety of ways because you're right. It's April. And I know, you know, April is autism awareness and acceptance month, like you talked about. So I think the focus is kind of on that and those other, um, areas are kind of lost. Mm -hmm. So one thing I wanted to touch on was in the February, 2021. So just a couple months ago in the ASHA leader, they had a really interesting article called autism and neurodiversity addressing concerns and offering implications for school-based speech language pathologists. And it's super interesting. It's a little bit lengthy. So I'm just going to read you verbatim the summary, um, which I think, and I hope will hook you that you'll be interested enough to go look it up because I thought it was a very interesting read especially being a school-based SLP. So this is a summary. They said, we recognize that school-based SLPs are bound by institutional constraints such as eligibility determination and individualized education program processes that are not inherently consistent with the neurodiversity paradigm, which I'm sure if you're an SLP in a school you've run across is very Um, Frequently, and it can be kind of frustrating. So they go on to say, consequently, we offer examples for implementing the neurodiversity paradigm while working within these existing structures. 
In sum, this article addresses the key points of tension related to the neurodiversity paradigm in a way that we hope will directly translate into improved service provision for autistic students, which I can really relate to the beginning of that when they talk about eligibility determination and IEP processes, because a lot of times, well, all of the time, you're bound by very specific numbers or very specific requirements that are made by your county or your state. And we all know that not everyone fits into a perfect box for that. And this article did a really good job of taking a look at that and identifying where we can improve. That's so interesting. And I guarantee you there's so much overlap with like outpatient services as well, because insurance, it's the same thing. You know, these kids are we're being forced to put them into a box when we Mm -hmm. diagnose them. And sometimes it's way more than that. So yeah, that sounds super interesting. Um, the next thing we wanted to touch on was really the strengths of being neurodivergent and of neurodiversity itself. Um, Rachel, do you follow Andy Putt, Mrs. Speech, Speechy P, Mrs. Speechy P yes, on I Instagram. She, I think we've talked about her yes. right here before. Yeah, she, she posts a lot and has she, been recently. Yeah, she, and right now she's posting a lot on special interests and mm-hmm. she takes um, someone, I assume they just submit their stories to her, mm-hmm. but she takes their stories and she highlights them. Um, and then she also highlights certain people's special interests and why it makes them so unique and how it's formed them into the person they are. And I think that's so cool because I think that as, as individuals, well, as SLPs that diagnose individuals with autism, especially, I think we're really hyper-focused sometimes on the fact that our kids with autism only like one thing, or they're Mm -hmm. really, really only wanting to play with X, Y, and Z when is that really a bad thing or why mm-hmm. is it really a bad thing? And I, I think that's been a huge move for me is taking that step back and questioning myself. Like, yes, it, I guess helps in the diagnosis process, but mm-hmm. is it really something we need to take away from them? Who cares yeah. if they really like this one thing? So I thought that was really cool. And I think it should be considered a strength instead of something to be frowned upon. Definitely. And one thing that we touched on, in our autism resources episode, which was two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you guys haven't taken a listen to that, definitely listen to that because we go over so many resources. But one thing that we really highlighted was how important it was to get a large majority of our information from autistic yes. individuals because they are the experts. And mm-hmm. Claire and I said that in that past episode that SLPs and we are not experts by any means. We work with autistic individuals, but that does not mean that we know everything and how important and how meaningful that we hear directly from those individuals. Yeah, absolutely. So important. Um, But then going off of that, how many other really awesome strengths these individuals may have that might be viewed as something that again, contributes to their diagnosis, but it could be looked at in such a different lens, just like shifting our gaze a little bit to make it into something more positive. Um, so 
I'll just kind of continue that, um, the untapped group.com. They have a whole section on strengths of individuals who are neurodivergent. And it's so interesting. So I'll just read a couple, but, um, individuals with dyslexia, they have spatial intelligence and pattern recognition. Um, they're very, they have a very mechanical aptitude, their creativity, people with ADHD or ADD are very focused. They have the ability, um, to be hyper-focused maybe on certain things, I guess, depending on the, the type you are, but still it could Mm be, um, and then higher levels of creativity and spontaneity, which I love. I think, um, a lot of my kids with ADHD, I call them impulsive and sometimes Mm -hmm. it contributes to their behavior, but they also think of the spontaneousness that they have and the happiness that that's create that creates for them. I just thought that was really interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, and then dyspraxia, humor and creativity, determination, and with autism, there are so many other strengths as well, besides the special interests. Um, but those are just a few. And so I think that, you know, again, looking at some of these areas and these, these things that we may view as difficulties or differences instead changing that to say, well, look at how, look at how much of a strength this can be for them and look at what Mm -hmm. this can do for them. I think is, is just a cool way to look at it. And it's great that people are sharing that kind of thing. Um, and then the next thing we really wanted to touch on quick is masking. Um, Andy putt actually was Mm -hmm. somebody that posted about this as well. So props to her. Cause she's been you guys need to go to her Instagram. Mrs. Speechy P is her handle. And she has just been posting so many good things this month geared towards autism, geared towards neurodiversity. It's just been great. It's such Mm -hmm. a, such a good source for information. Um, but what masking is, is it's when neurodivergent individuals hide who they really are in order to fit in with societal norms. Um, and why do they do this? Because almost because they're trained to act this way. Right. And unfortunately we as SLPs are part of those people often who are training them to mask these differences that they have. Um, they might also do it because they were bullied in the past. They want to avoid a stigma. They want to make friends or make their family and friends happy when it's maybe not making them happy because they're not being who they really are. So I just, this term ask actually is new to me. And I don't know if that's weird, but it's very new to me. Um, I feel like this month even, and I've just found it so interesting to explore it because it's just, again, something I never really thought of in this way. Um, but masking can really lead to this individual. Think of how exhausting it can be to try and hide who you are all the time, or try to act a way that you don't want to act like that's, Mm -hmm. that's awful. And it can lead to, um, a lot of sources are talking about how it can lead to increased anxiety, depression, unfortunately, suicide, all of these horrible things that can come from it because, individuals feel like they have to mask who they are. Um, and then it can also lead to difficulty in diagnoses as well. There's been a lot of buzz about women or girls who have autism and how a lot of times it's difficult to diagnose often because they are masking those maybe difficulties or, um, key factors that they, that might make them have this diagnosis. So, um, just something interesting to think about that we really need to support those differences and we need to embrace them for a lot of different reasons, because we don't want them to make, we don't want those individuals to feel like we're trying to change them, Mm -hmm. um, for all of those different reasons. Definitely. I would agree that this is a newer term. Um, 
and I was not as familiar with it. So when we were preparing for this episode, Claire and I were both doing, you know, a bunch of research and going off of what you just said, Claire, I found that the cognitive and emotional efforts of an individual masking impacts their mental and physical health, which you touched on. I can only imagine how draining that is every single day, having to pretend like you're someone who you're not. Mm-hmm. Um, and they found that people who camouflage regularly often say they feel drained, exhausted by that effort of just trying to conform to neurotypical standards of behavior. And a lot of times people are doing that because they feel like they have to in order to fit in right. when really if, um, you know, like society as a whole changes their mindset, that's not necessarily necessary at all because no two people are the same. Right. And why should they be the ones that have to change? I, I think I've seen that a lot of places too. Like mm-hmm. we can do an equal amount of work changing if we're going to make them try and change. Like that's, it's just kind of, it doesn't make sense when you really yeah. think about it. Yeah, absolutely. So masking is kind of broken down into three different stages. So the first one is motivation. So this is an individual finding a reason to find masking beneficial. So maybe they find that if they dress a certain way, or if they pretend that they're interested in something that they're not, that they might gain attention of an individual that they otherwise wouldn't. So that's the first step is motivation. The second step is actually engaging in the masking. And then the third step would be consequences, whether that's positive or negative, um, just kind of looking at it as the outcome. So I thought that was really interesting Mm -hmm. also. Um, A really awesome website that I came across called soyourautistic.com gave a detailed list of specific examples of masking because it can present itself very different. So I just wanted to run through these five really quickly. The first is copying someone's tone of voice, dress, or body language. And I feel like that may be one of the more common ones that you can visibly identify. The next would be giving an expected answer to a question rather than the truth. So the example they give gave was saying, yes, I had a great time at so-and-so's party instead of I'm, I don't like parties. I don't like socializing, which is totally fine. Um, the third is making small talk or attempting to make eye contact or learning to appear to make eye contact. Like you're engaged when it may be an uncomfortable feeling or difficult for you. The fourth is smiling and laughing, even when you're not sure what's going on. So just like pretending like you're following along in the conversation when in reality, you may not be interested or may not want to engage in conversation. Um, And that goes hand in hand with the second, which is pretending to understand and keep up with the conversation. So I thought it was good they gave those examples because it really can present itself in so many different ways. And it's so interesting because I feel like we as SLPs are going to see a shift in our treatment Mm -hmm. because Rachel, you just describing all those, like we've all had social language goals that encompass these things, right? Body language, expected behaviors, expected versus unexpected behaviors. Mm -hmm. Like all I have had so many goals for social kid that I'm working on social with. And it's just interesting because we almost have to find a really 
really solid middle ground where mm-hmm. we're still teaching these skills, but we're also being aware of differences and we're okay with those differences. Um, I don't know. I just think it's really interesting because I think we're going to see a change in how we treat social skills probably. Um, and we might already be kind of in that process of, yeah, well, that was the first thing I went to was Mm -hmm. as I was reading these examples, I was immediately going back to my treatment goals and therapy with my autistic students. Mm -hmm. And it felt very cringy. Like it it made me feel uncomfortable, which Mm -hmm. is a good feeling knowing Mm -hmm. that, you know, we're learning and we're changed. Yeah. Yeah. So the first thing I was thinking was like, I need to adjust how, I'm addressing this and you know, how could I change? Yeah. And I think that's really good for all of us to do is really, and it's okay too. It's just because you made one goal or two, even 10 goals that you want to change, change it. What's Mm -hmm. it's fine. It's okay. And I think that especially early on in our career, it's a big blow when you realize the goal you made sucks for lack Mm -hmm. of a better word. Sorry, but it happens, right? We all make sucky goals and it just is what it is. And you move on and you do better next time. And you acknowledge the fact that maybe this wasn't the best goal to yep. you own it and move yeah. on and you yep. move on. So I think that's something important to do as a, an, an SLP. So what can we do as speech pathologists to make sure that we are being aware of neurodiversity and we are being acceptant of these people with differences? Um, and that we're embracing these differences. So the first thing, um, I, I got this information actually from an article, um, on the informed SLP, which if you're not on the informed SLP and you are able to be a member, it is so, so good. Like all of the information is wonderful. They summarize really important articles. Um, I highly recommend it, but one of the things they talk about in an article is, um, how we should have what they call double empathy. So this means we struggle to understand autistics, right? Just like they struggle to understand us. So people who think differently have different experiences in the world and they have different ways of viewing things in the world. So therefore it's just difficult to understand one another. So not just knowing that this autistic individual has a, has difficulty understanding my way of social thinking, but also that I have a really difficult time understanding the way that they social think. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's a little mind boggling in a sense, but it's so interesting to think about. And it's really important. Um, another thing we can do is just realize that someone has to change. Why can't it be us? Right. So I think we already kind of said this, like, why should those neurodivergent people be the people that change? Why can't we be the ones that change and be the ones that help them feel like they can be who they are in this society and in Mm -hmm. this world? Um, another thing is just to listen to those, like Rachel said, to learn about, autism from people who are autistic. So, and that goes for any, any neurodivergent, um, area as well. So learning about that area from those people who are actually experiencing it, because that makes the most sense. Right. And then to also avoid terms like curing or fixing associated with that treatment. So you're not trying to cure autism. You're not trying to fix their dyslexia. You are building on what they have and you are making them feel like they are heard and understood and that they can easily communicate or they can easily do whatever their goal is. So I think changing our thinking that we're not trying to fix people. That is Um, so important. 
I always think of, I think of fluency first because I think, and Rachel, Rachel and I went to the same grad school, but Mm -hmm. our, um, Dr. Gobble, our mentor and Mm -hmm. professor in stuttering, he was the first I think teacher or professor or mm-hmm. anyone to really drill that into me was you're not trying to fix it. You're not trying to cure it. It's, it's something you're helping them with. Mm-hmm. But I think that's so important across the board, not just in stuttering. Yeah. And then also focusing on intervention for the person based, not just the EVP. And I'm not saying that evidence-based isn't important because it obviously is, it drives what we do, but at the same time, not everything is going to work for every individual. So you really have to look at who that person is, what they want, especially for some of these older students um, and even younger students, ask them Mm -hmm. what they want to work on. I think you'd be really surprised. Don't just assume that even the child doesn't have goals for themselves, because if you don't ask, you don't know. So I think just making sure that you put that person first instead of just, oh, this is supposed to help them. So I'm going to just keep trying this. And that goes back to no two people fit in a box. Right. So you shouldn't, while a goal bank is helpful to kind of give you like a direction to go in, you should always make sure that the goals that you're making and the connections that you're forming are so specific to each student that it's really helping them get the most out of therapy. Because like you just said, Claire, if you're working on something that isn't meaningful to them, they have no motivation. They have no encouragement to meet those goals and put in the effort and you know, show up. To yeah, somebody. exactly. And then the last thing that we can do as speech pathologists and as people, a part of this team for these individuals is just to inform and to educate, um, and inform others who may not be working as closely with neurodivergent individuals as we are, because those are the people that really, you know, need to know the most, because those are the people that might come into contact with someone with a difference and they need to appropriately respond. And again, like we said before, we need to really be the ones that change our mindset and change our behaviors because the way we're going, it's, it's not okay. And we need to, we need to make sure that other people know that as well. Um, and then the last thing I wanted to just touch on was I found this article, um, on ASHA actually, and it's called incorporating neurodiversity into grad school programs. It's so good. So good. And I wouldn't have even ever thought that, Hey, this should be an entire course. It should be an entire course. Mm -hmm. Like we, Rachel and I were like, Oh, this will be a quick episode. We're already, I mean, Mm -hmm. this isn't as quick as we thought it would be because there's so much information. And I think how amazing would it be to be coming out of your grad school program as a CF being so aware of neurodiversity and what these individuals need and want. And I just, I think it's so good. Um, but it's called neuro allies graduate program and it's at Keene university in New Jersey. Um, but you can find the article on ASHA, especially if you're an ASHA member, you can get it for free, um, on, Asha pubs, but, um, the tracks mission, and I'm just going to read it to you because it's very interesting. The tracks mission is to better understand autistic individuals as neurodivergent to use a strength-based approach in assessment and intervention to share best practices and raise awareness and promote the value acceptance and inclusion of people with ASD. So I think specifically this does look at, um, autism, however, I guarantee again, as this is, this develops and this awareness develops. I think it'll encompass, encompass more than just autism. Um, and then this group also says that they challenge the traditional behaviorist 
framework by discussing the research that addresses the effects of managing and training clients rather than understanding and supporting them by focusing on strengths. And they focus on speech language communication goals rather than behavior management. So I think that's really interesting because we, we think a lot about how we're training or we're managing these behaviors or these difficulties or deficits, however you qualify it, um, when really should we be focusing on something else, focusing Mm -hmm. on strengths and building on those? That seems a lot easier on our end too. So I thought that was interesting. Um, so when I was doing my research, I went to put this article into like our show notes and Claire yeah. already had it there. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, good. You know, same I, minds. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I love that this is, doesn't just pertain to neurodiversity, but I love that there's always a push on what to incorporate into graduate school programs, because mm-hmm. I feel like so many things that have come up in the field just in the five or six years that we've been out of grad mm-hmm. school, we didn't have. Huge. Yeah. There has been such a shift and we haven't even been out of grad school that long. Like exactly, I say that to my students sometimes. I'm like, well, it was this way when I was in grad school and it wasn't even that long ago. Yeah. But so much has changed, like even just in that short amount of time. Yeah. Even just like the push for, this is going a little off topic, but even just the push for like a a course on counseling, Mm -hmm. because you don't realize how big of a role that plays in your job, you know, whether that's you're working with adult clients and you're counseling them or you're working with children and you're counseling families or or the children themselves that would be so beneficial and neurodiversity is another great one to add on to that yeah absolutely and I'm I'm glad that universities are seeing this and changing it Mm -hmm. because I think it's overall going to make our field just so much more well-rounded Definitely. So I guess to end our episode, I, we came up with four websites that have really great information um, relating to neurodiversity. So I'm going to run through those really quickly. The first one is neurodiversityhub.org. The second is neurodiversitynetwork.net. The third is differentbrains.org. The fourth is exceptionalindividuals.org. And then um, we've also run through a couple throughout the yeah, untapped, we had, right? Yes, untapped-group.com. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called the untapped group and it's all focused on neurodiversity and what it is. And um, that exceptional individual one, I'm glad you put that on there too, Rachel, because it is mm-hmm. really cool. They have like job coaching yes. and things like that on there for adults who are finding themselves in a position of being neurodivergent who maybe have gone undiagnosed. Um, that's what I saw a lot in the research too, is that you know, we have these numbers of people who are diagnosed, but think of how many people who go undiagnosed Mm -hmm. and who have these differences and are trying to conform to society that they just, they're too different from. And I think it's, it's really important that there's these resources for them out there. Definitely. And I like that they all amplify autistic Mm -hmm. voices, which we've touched on so many times, but it's so important. So if you guys were listening to this episode and you're like, oh my goodness, I have an amazing resource, or I read an article that was so helpful, or a book, or you know someone on 
Instagram that's posting really great stuff, please reach out to us, send us a DM or a email or get a hold of us somehow because we would love to share that information and continue to grow in an area that we are not as familiar with. Well, guys, that wraps up this episode. Thank you again so much for joining us. And as always, you can find me, Rachel, on Instagram at supersweetspeech. And if you or anyone you know is in need of speech therapy in Southeast Michigan, feel free to email me at speechissupersweet at gmail.com. And you can also follow the Let's Talk About Speech podcast on both Facebook and Instagram. So make sure you give those a like and a follow. And you can find me, Claire, on Instagram at kindly underscore speech or my Facebook page, Kindly Speech LLC. And if anyone in the Ohio area is in need of speech teletherapy, please contact me, kindlyspeechllc at gmail.com. Rachel and I also have an email for the podcast that you can email us with suggestions or if you or someone you know wants to be on the podcast, that's let's talk about speech podcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. Bye.